Hey everybody, welcome to the Simple Power Podcast, where we think practically about the presence and the power of God. I'm Duke Lamastra, I'm your host, and what I want to do this week is actually, I want to jump into some verses in the book of Colossians, the third chapter of Colossians. I'm actually going to read through verses 12 through 17 and break those verses down because there is so much gold in there in terms of your identity in Christ and really coming to a place of maturity as a believer. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into this. I've got a couple translations of the Bible with me, and I'm going to read through these verses, and then we'll uh, maybe take some pauses and just kind of break some things down. I actually call these few verses, what is this, uh, five, six verses here, uh, verses 12 through 17 of Colossians chapter 3. I call this like heaven's cheat sheet. This is like, if you want to grow, if you want to become more mature, read these verses and look at what this is uh, telling us to do. It's really like a formula for maturity in terms of maturity in Christ. Verse 12 says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Actually, let me just stop stop right there. Uh, I'm going to have a problem here. I'm going to try not to preach. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, you are the elect of God. Now, I know when the Bible uses the term elect, you might be tempted there to think that it's talking about some kind of elite Christian. Let me just tell you, there is no such thing as an elite Christian. There are God's kids and there are those who have not come home yet, but we are God's kids. We are sons and daughters of God. So we are the elect of God. Elect refers to those that have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay, those who have been born again. And so he says here, he says, as the elect of God, and then he puts these two words there with it, holy and beloved. You are holy and beloved. That word holy means to be set apart. You have been set apart for God and you are beloved. God loves you with everything that is within him. Part of our identity in the book of Ephesians, in in Ephesians chapter one, Paul uses this term, the beloved or, or the beloved, and it's a capital B. And it's actually referring to the body of Christ. It's referring to the same thing as the elect, those who have come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That your identity is as the beloved or the beloved, however you pronounce that word, of God. So that's who you are. So he starts there. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, it keeps going, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's talking about as the elect of God, recognizing that you belong to God. He's starting in this foundational place of identity. He says, put on tender mercies, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Like, we're actually supposed to treat each other right. We're supposed to treat each other well. We're not supposed to be tearing people down and tearing people apart. And I know, and I didn't, oh man, I I purposely went into this discussion because I was trying to get away from the political stuff, but I guess I kind of roped myself into it here. When we look around us right now, And uh, this is, we're mid-November right now, 2020, in case you're listening to this at a future date. But we're in the middle of this election thing. The election obviously already took place, but uh, everything is still in in turmoil and, and, and not everything has been fully decided yet. But I see so many people in the body of Christ that are just being divisive and 
arguing and, you know, I get it. I, I, I love your opinions. I think you need to have opinions and I don't have any problem with you putting your opinions out there. We live in a free country. We have free speech. My problem is when we cross over this line and, and we start tearing people down and we start saying things like, well, you can't be a Christian if you voted this way. And we say things like, well, you must be a racist if you voted this way. And we do all these things and we put these labels and these generalities on people. And look, I just don't think that that stuff is consistent with the word of God. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a strong political stance. I think that you should. But I'm saying that you should not fall into that trap of the political spirit which is where we start to become more concerned about being right and that our opinion is the only one that matters, right? And so we actually start to tear other people down because they don't think like we think. I'm not saying that we shouldn't fight for these things, but what I'm saying is that our first allegiance is always to the king and his kingdom, to the kingdom of God, to Jesus Christ himself, and to one another, That we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to show mercy. He says, put on tender mercies. That tells me, he says, put it on. Put on tender mercies. Put on kindness. Put on these things. Forgive one another. Look, I'm not talking to outsiders. I'm not talking to those that have not been born again. We're speaking to those that are the elect of God. So he says, this is who you are. This is your identity. You are in Christ. So therefore, this is what you should do. You should put on these tender mercies. You should be merciful to people. You should be kind-hearted. You should bless people. You should build people up, not tear people down. Now, it's important to note here that he's not saying you have to do these things in order to be counted worthy, or you have to do these things. You have to act right. You have to always treat everybody right in order to be considered the elect of God. That's not what he's saying. He actually says it the complete opposite. He says, you are the elect of God. You are holy. You are set apart for God. You are part of the beloved. You are beloved of God. So therefore, Here's what your response should be. This is what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. You put on tender mercies. You make a choice. This is who you are. This is your new identity in Christ. But you actually have to choose whether or not you're going to walk in it. Whether or not you're going to live the way that Christ lived. And respond the way that Christ responded. So he says, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, like bear with each other. We need to bear with each other. It's okay to have arguments. It's okay to have heated debates. All of that is okay as long as at the end of the day, we still love each other and we haven't allowed politics, if it's politics or a denominational difference or, you know, these different things, these differences of opinions, differences of theological understanding, biblical interpretation, whatever it is, you know, well, I watch this kind of news and they say this and I watch this kind of, like whatever it is, whatever it is that you want to put in that box that at the end of the day, we can all have our own opinion. We can have differences, but as long as we recognize that we have the basic foundational principles in place as the elect of God, we are supposed to put one another first. We're supposed to esteem Philippians chapter two, others better than ourselves. That means that you are more important than my opinion. It means that you are more important than me being right. And we mentioned this in my interview with Pastor Caleb Hires on on last week's podcast. We talked about, you can go back and listen to that, by the way, if you haven't, because it is phenomenal. Caleb is such an awesome guy and just puts things in such a practical way. I really think that that uh, podcast, it's episode number 60, 
is really going to help you have a higher perspective on life and on these things that are going on right now and uh, really help you elevate your thinking. But here's the deal. You cannot walk in a political spirit and put other people first. And so again, you need to have a, have a political stance. That's fine. But don't condemn everybody else who believes differently than you do, thinking that you are the only one who's right. And maybe you are right. I don't know. Maybe you are right. But just because you're right doesn't mean that you put other people down in the name of being right. We are supposed to speak the truth, but we're supposed to speak the truth in love. Love means that we put other people first. We put other people above ourselves. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. It doesn't say, it's, this is not a suggestion. He doesn't say that, you know, you should try to maybe consider forgiving. He says you must do this because Christ forgave you, you must forgive. Why? Because Christ forgave you and you've received that free gift of life and forgiveness and righteousness and salvation and all of the things that Jesus came to do and to secure for you. You've received all of that as the elect of God, as holy and set apart, the beloved of God, right? You've received that. So now this is who you are. This is your identity. You are forgiven, which means you must be a forgiver, And however badly they hurt you, however often they hurt you, whatever they did. And, you know, I, I always make a note here when I start talking about forgiveness that you may have gone through something that's so traumatic and so serious that I would never, ever want to belittle that by any means. And what they did to you, if somebody harmed you, somebody hurt you, somebody abused you, whatever took place, that was not okay. What they did was not okay. This is going to help you. I want to help you. I want you to be free. Forgiveness does not mean, some people think that, oh, well, if I'm going to forgive them, that means that I'm putting my stamp of approval on it. That means that I'm saying that what they did was okay. That means I have to forget about what they did. None of that is true. None of that is forgiveness. What they did to you is not okay. But because you are the elect of God, you've been born again and you have been forgiven, you make the choice to put on tender mercies, to put on long suffering, to put on meekness and humility, to bear with one another, even when they're wrong, even when they're wrong, that you make the choice to forgive, not because what they did is okay, but because it's who you are and because of what Jesus Christ did for you. Look, none of what any of us did against God in our sin is okay. And salvation doesn't mean that it's okay. Jesus laying down his life in our place doesn't mean that it's okay. It means that he took the penalty for us so that we don't have to live under it any longer. We don't have to live in the guilt and the shame and the fear and the, all of that. We don't have to live in any of that stuff anymore. It doesn't mean that what we did was okay, but it does mean that Jesus took care of it. So the curse of it is absolutely gone. It's broken. It's been set aside. You are holy and set apart for God. God is not sharing you with anybody. What he did on that cross was sufficient to bring you into absolute freedom. He has completely forgiven you, which means, here's what forgiveness means, that Jesus is not holding you, the Father is not holding you responsible for the penalty of what you did wrong. 
He's not holding you responsible to pay the price for what you did. Why? Because Jesus already paid it. And because Jesus paid for us, we also ought to let it go when other people harm us, when other people offend us, when other people do stuff against us. Look, if you're holding on to bitterness, you're holding on to resentment, you're not hurting anybody but yourself. And you're holding yourself back to the point that you can't move forward and you can't advance and you can't experience the fullness of what Christ has for you because you're holding on to what so-and-so did to you. Look, get free of it. Let it go. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. But you have to make the choice to let it go, to stop hanging on to that resentment and bitterness. Stop holding on to hatred. Stop holding on to whatever it is. Let that person go and forgive. Well, that person's not here anymore. I can't forgive that person. Yeah, just between you and God, just say, God, I make the choice to forgive this person. And it might not be a one-time thing. It might not be where you make the decision and all of a sudden it's completely gone. You never think about it again, right? Most of the time it's not like that. It may be a process to walk out. But when you just say to God, God, you know what? I honestly, I don't know how to fully let this go right now. I don't know how to fully forgive, but I'm willing to forgive. God, because you forgave me, I don't want to hang on to this thing any longer. So God, I give it to you and I'm asking you to help me to walk in forgiveness in this area. Look, God honors that. He understands that you're not perfect. He understands that you were hurt. He understands whatever it was that happened to you. But when you make that decision, and again, it might be a decision-making process. It might not be one decision. It might be a a daily decision for a little while until you recognize that that thing is just completely gone. Not that you forgot about it, but that the resentment and the bitterness of it is gone. That may be a process. It may be instant, but it might not be. But just make that decision to walk in forgiveness. If you're not getting it yet, remember I said that we're talking about maturity, the marks and signs of of a mature believer, of coming into maturity in Christ Jesus. And if you're not getting it yet, pretty much everything that we've talked about (laughs) up to this point is really relating to our relationships with other people. It's not just our relationship with God. Of course, our communion, our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, all of that's really important. All of that's important. Absolutely. That's the foundation. But in terms of us walking this thing out, I mean, the Bible says that how can we say that we love God, but we hate our brother? How can we say that we love God whom we've never seen, yet we hate the ones that are in front of us that we see every day? That we hang on to resentment, we hang on to bitterness, We act like we're better because of this opinion that we have, or we can get into like this elitist mentality, this pride mentality, where we think that we're better because we've come to to, to a different knowledge than other people have come to. Guess what? That had nothing to do with you. (laughs) It was by the grace of God that you know anything that I know, forget it, let me not talk about you, that I know anything is by the grace of God. And it doesn't make me better than anybody else. It makes him better. It makes him better than everything else that this world has to offer. Right? And so we're supposed to be pushing Jesus. We're supposed to be demonstrating Jesus, not demonstrating our ability to be right all the time. All right. I'm going to try to get off that. Verse 14. But above all these things, put on love. There's that phrase again, put on. You've got to put it on. Put on love. Remember, God is love. Love is the foundation of everything that we believe. It Love is the foundation of who we are in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son. So we're supposed to put on love. In other words, walk in love. Make that choice. Make that decision. How do you walk in love? Well, let's go up to everything that we were just talking about. Put on these things. Put on the the tender mercies and the meekness and the long-suffering. Bear with one another. Put other people above yourself. Put other people before yourself. Esteem others better than yourself. It doesn't mean that you're not good. It doesn't mean that you're not as good as them. It just means that in your mind, in your actions, in your daily living, that you're actually esteeming the needs of other people above yourself. All right, so we've got to stop this tearing down and backbiting. I love the church. I love my local church. I love being a pastor. I love pastoring people. I love visiting other churches. I love the church. If you're not in a church, you need to get in a church because that's part of your identity. That's part of who you are in Christ. Being a member of a local body of believers, a called out body of believers. That's what the church is. The ecclesia. The, to, to go into the, the Greek there, the called out body of believers. And for us to like separate ourselves or distance ourselves, we are limiting the moving of the spirit of God in our lives because we are supposed to be connected with people. It's one of the principal ways that we demonstrate our love for the father is in our love for other people. The body of Christ needs you. There's a local church that needs you. There are people around you that need you and you need them as well. We grow, we help each other, iron sharpens iron. We grow together, we learn together. But he says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. I'm gonna read that verse to you from my wife's Passion Bible. Um, Let's see, oh, verse 14, sorry. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes, listen to this, the mark of true maturity. All right. This is, this is heaven's cheat sheet. This is the cheat sheet for you to come into maturity. How do you come into maturity? Put on love. If you want to reverse engineer this thing and you're thinking, I want to grow in Christ. I want to be more mature. All right. Well, I'm giving you the cheat version. I'm, I'm telling you what to do. I'm giving you the answer on the test. Put on love, love extravagantly love like no one else loves. Uh, And I'm not saying that to say, you know, be better than everybody else. What, What I mean is Jesus loved like nobody else loved. Jesus came and gave up his life and he told his, and and he said to, to his disciples, he's like, they will know that you are my disciples. How? By your love for one another. We represent him well when we love people, when we put other people first, when we put their needs above our own, when we love people well. So he says, put on love. It's the bond of perfection. It's the mark of maturity. So act in love, walk in love. Verse 15 says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is one of my favorite verses of all time. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. Peace. We are supposed to be peacemakers. We're supposed to be peacemakers. We're supposed to be agents of peace. Now, there is a difference between keeping the peace. In other words, like you don't want to stir anything up. You don't want to cause any trouble. You just want to be quiet and you want to keep to yourself. and You don't want to offend anybody. That's not what we're called to. Now, there may be a time to not stir things up. You know, we're not just like stirring up pots all the time. But 
being a, a peacemaker, an agent of peace, it sometimes means that you've got to stir something up. It sometimes means you've got to put yourself in the middle of a, of a bad situation. It sometimes means that you insert yourself where there's calamity and there's confusion. Why? Because you carry peace himself on the inside of you. In Ephesians, Paul actually personifies Jesus as peace. Christ is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. He was referring there in those verses to the Jew and the, and, and, and the Greek. You know, in this thing, this argument about circumcised, uncircumcised, are you with us? Are you against us? It's the same thing that's going on today. And if you pay attention here in verse 15 that we just read, he brings peace back to unity in the body again. You are called to be a peacemaker. You are called to demonstrate peace, to let peace flow out of you because peace lives on the inside of you. And it's about bringing unity, not division, not strife, not divisiveness, not arguing and backbiting and all of these things that we so often do. He says, to which you are also called in one body, one body, and be thankful. So let the peace of God rule in your hearts. It's really, it's really interesting because that word rule, it actually means to call the shots as in an umpire. This verse could actually be translated, let peace be the umpire in your heart. Let peace govern your heart. All right, so what does an umpire do in a game? You think about the home plate umpire, he's calling all the shots. He's back there, he's looking at everything, he's calling all the shots. He's saying that was a ball, that was a strike. Take your base, you're out. He even has the authority to throw the coaches, the managers out of a game, to throw a player out of a game if they're not acting right. He has all of that authority. He's calling the shots and he's maintaining the atmosphere that's supposed to exist there. That's what peace will do for you. Now, you may be experiencing peace, uh, excuse me, you may be experiencing lack of peace on the outside of you. And actually, the very first podcast that I ever did, episode one, it's all about the subject of peace. It's still probably my all-time favorite episode. I loved it. That's why I started with it, because I love talking about peace. <laughs> so anyway, go check that out. But let peace rule in your hearts. Let peace be the umpire. Let peace call the shots. Don't let fear call the shots. Don't let uh, your mistake from the past call the shots or what somebody thinks about you. Don't allow those things. Don't allow that frustration. Don't allow that anxiety to call the shots in your life. Don't give up your control to something inferior. When God says, look, Jesus Christ lives in your heart. He is your peace. Wherever he is at the center, things become one. Christ is our peace who has made both one. Wherever Christ is, wherever you walk in the mind of Christ, wherever you are, wherever Christ is established at the center of your life or of an area of your life, there is oneness there. There is peace there. There is stillness there. So he says, let that peace, the peace of God, I'm not just talking about peace in terms of a feeling. You know, you can have a peaceful feeling that might not be God. I'm talking about that peace that surpasses your understanding, Philippians chapter 4. The peace of God that surpasses understanding. That means it goes beyond our understanding. It goes beyond our thinking. It's above our thinking. His ways and thoughts are so much higher and better than ours. Right? And so his peace, the peace that God gives, it always 
brings us back to this place of unity of oneness. And so we're supposed to allow the peace of God to rule in our hearts. So if you find yourself getting out of peace, maybe you're out of peace right now because of the election. A lot of people are, and I don't judge you for that. Maybe you're out of peace right now in your mind because of an election. One of the things Caleb said last week, and and he was quoting somebody else, I can't remember who he was quoting, but he was like, a lot of people have lost their peace and the next thing you lose, once you lose your peace, is your peace is your mind. <laughs> you start losing your peace, you start losing your mind. And we all know that to be true. You start losing your peace and you just start to spiral out of control. You run around in circles. You're chasing your tail. You don't know what you're doing. That's what happens when we lose our peace. But look, peace is the only thing that I've found in Scripture that is actually specifically sanctioned by God to be the shot caller in our lives, to be the umpire of our lives. So let the peace of God rule. Let the peace of God reign on the inside of you. Look, all of this stuff we're talking about, it's all a choice. This is who you are. And so all of this is available to you. But we've got to walk in it. We've got to apply the principles to our lives and not allow the the world to sway us, not allow circumstances to sway us, but recognizing that we are putting on these things. We're putting on love. We're putting on this bond of perfection called love. We're not backbiting and putting people down, but we're actually putting on tender mercies and meekness and long-suffering. Long-suffering. That means that it suffers long. <laughs> it means that it suffers long. That it doesn't, love doesn't always get its way. And it's okay with not getting its way. And not just for a moment, but for a long time. For a long time. And by the way, I'm not saying that I've like figured this stuff out by any means. I'm learning to walk in this stuff just like you. But I believe that these are, these are the marks of a mature believer. When we treat each other well, when we treat each other, we honor people. To honor people, it doesn't mean that you treat them just based on what you see. And I know that that's really tempting to do. Like, it's really tempting to do sometimes. Sometimes I want to just cut somebody off. Not, not cut somebody off in terms of driving. I want to cut somebody out of my life <laughs> because I'm fed up. I'm fed up with the way they're, they're, they're acting. I'm fed up with the excuses. I'm fed up with whatever. But honor, honor will allow me to look beyond what I see, beyond what's just apparent to me in the natural, beyond the attitude or the actions of this person, and to see beyond to recognize, you know what? God lives inside of this person, and he has a plan. He has a destiny for this person's life. And so honor will actually cause me to treat somebody not on the basis of how they're acting, but on the basis of who they are in terms of their identity. Now, it doesn't mean that we never call people out. It doesn't mean that we don't correct people. It doesn't mean any of that. So that's not where I'm going with any of this. But what I'm saying is I think so often we use tough love or we use speaking the truth as an excuse for actually wounding people in the name of love or in the name of something virtuous. And that's not really what it is at all. So we have to just make sure that we are walking the way that Christ walked, being patient with people, being compassionate with people, demonstrating our heavenly father. Well, look, the truth is God has been more patient with you than you deserve. And God has been way more patient with me than I deserve. And that is a massive understatement. He's been way more patient with me than I deserve. So who am I to lose my patience and to lose my peace over somebody else who's not acting right? Verse 16, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, the Bible says that it's beautiful when brethren, brethren dwell together in unity. That, that's such a beautiful picture to me there of coming together and being one and being like-minded. Doesn't mean we don't have different opinions, but it means that we can love each other anyway. It means that we can be united anyway. It means that we can pursue a common goal. We can pursue a common agenda anyway, even if we don't fully agree. You know, the, the pastoral team that I sit on at my, at my church is like, we don't agree. We don't always agree on stuff. And so we have to talk through stuff and see how things line up. And if they don't line up, then we have to make decisions. And we, but we do it together as a team. We don't always agree with one another. And we've had fights in our meetings, not fist fights. Sometimes we've wanted to, but we keep it pretty civil. But we'll get heated and we'll get excited about stuff and we won't always be in agreement. We still have our opinions, but when it comes to being in agreement at the end of the day, we might not be all on the same page, but if we've made a collective decision as a team, we stand behind each other and behind the vision of what we're trying to accomplish 100%. We don't try to make it fail so that other people look bad. And that is a political spirit. When you try to make somebody fail or you're happy when somebody fails because it makes you look better or makes you feel better or makes you recognize, see, I knew I was right. And you get excited about that. Look, oh man, I don't care about being right. I care about making his name known. And if we are not unified with one another and we're tearing people down and we're backbiting and then we're, you know, we're calling it love or we're calling it truth or we're calling it whatever we're calling it. But secretly we're happy when we're right and someone else was wrong and looks bad and whatever else is taking place, that's not godly. It's not godly. It's not the heart of God. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed. Now, that verse could be taken out of context And you could say, well, I could do whatever I want and just put the name of Jesus on it. I'm doing this in Jesus' name. No. (laughs) No. Remember, we're talking about becoming mature. That doesn't sound like a very mature thing to do, does it? No. There's no way. Like, Like, oh, well, I'll just, because I'm under grace, I can do whatever I want. Because I'm under grace, I can go out and sin because he's already forgiven me. Is that what you should do? No, and you know that that's not what you should do, but that's what some people, and I would not say most Christians by any means, but that's what some people really actually think. Salvation for a lot of people is a pill they take at the end of the night where they just repent or they confess all the things they did wrong during the day, but they know full well that tomorrow they're going to get up and they're going to do the same thing over again. That's not okay. That's not maturity. That's not what Christ died for. Now, do I think that person's going to hell? No, I don't think so. Not if, they, not if they have given their life to Jesus. I think that the Lord is going to work on the heart of that person. And I think it might be a process and they might need to get under some good biblical teaching, some foundational stuff where maybe they just don't understand their true identity. You know, identity fixes a lot of problems. If you don't know who you are, <laughs> it causes a lot of problems. But when you come into this 
understanding of who you are as a child of God. It's not this thing of, oh, I got, I'm, it's rigid. It's all these strict rules and I got to be right and I got to do this. And like, this has nothing to do. This is not like, like be very careful and cautious. Make sure that you've got on tender mercies. Make sure that you're kind to everybody. Make sure that you're humble. Don't start thinking too highly of yourself. It's not what this is saying. These verses are full of power because they come from a place of identity. This is not walking on eggshells trying to make sure that we're checking all the boxes and doing everything right. This is recognizing that this is who we are as God's kids, that our old nature has been crucified with Christ and we have been raised to life. We resurrected when Jesus resurrected. When he walked out of that tomb, you walked out of that tomb with him. And so this is who you are. Whether you have fully come into the understanding of it or not, this is who you are. And so as we read his word, as we study, as we fellowship with the Holy Spirit, as we fellowship with other believers, as we recognize that we're all endeavoring toward a common goal, which is to know him and to make his name known throughout the earth so that people come to the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ, then what happens is we grow, we come to maturity, we put on this bond of perfection called love. And we do that by fellowshipping with one another, by spending time in the presence of God and in the word of God and allowing, um, you know, back to this verse, let the word of God dwell in you richly in wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Like it's not just, well, I'm going to let the word of God dwell in me richly and then be by myself forever. No, it's supposed to come out of you. And as it comes out of you, there's this incredible thing that happens. It's part of the transformation process. We need each other more than ever. And I think that the mark of maturity in the body of Christ is when we can put the needs of others, esteeming others better than ourselves and walking in love. We love God. Absolutely. He gets our affection. He gets our attention. He gets all of it. But one of the principal ways that we demonstrate our love for God is in the way we love people. I appreciate you guys being here. Anybody who stuck through till the end, I really hope that this was a blessing to you, that you got something out of it. If it did, please consider subscribing if you haven't done so already. And hey, if you're listening to this on um, one of the podcast platforms like Apple or uh, iTunes or any of the other platforms where you can leave a review, if you would leave me a review, let, let me know and let others know what you thought about this. That'll really help me. If you could share this with somebody that you think could benefit from it as well, I would really appreciate it. It would mean the world to me. Have an awesome week. Keep loving each other. Keep putting each other first. Put God first. But remember that as you put God first, it will cause you to love his people well. Look for practical ways this week to serve people, to honor people, to love the world around you. God bless you guys. I'll see you next time.